We remain standing in honor of our gospel reading this morning that comes to us from the Gospel of John. Chapter 21, I will be reading through verse 19. Hear now these words of the Lord. After these things, Jesus showed himself again to the disciples by the Sea of Tiberias, and he showed himself this way. Gathered there were Simon Peter, Thomas, called the twin, Nathanael of Cana in Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and two others of the disciples. Simon Peter said to them, I am going fishing. They said to him, we will go with you. They went out and got into the boat, but that night they caught nothing. Just after daybreak, Jesus stood on the beach, but the disciples did not know that it was Jesus. Jesus said to him, children, you have no fish, have you? They answered him, no. He said to them, cast the net to the right side of the boat and you will find some. So they cast it. And now they were not able to haul it in because there were so many fish. That disciple whom Jesus loved said to Peter, It is the Lord. When Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put on some clothes, for he was naked, and jumped into the sea. But the other disciples came in the boat, dragging the net full of fish, for they were not far from the land, only about a hundred yards off. When they had gone ashore, they saw a charcoal fire there with fish on it and bread. Jesus said to them, Bring some of the fish that you have just caught. So Simon Peter went aboard and hauled the net ashore, full of large fish, 153 of them. And though there were so many, the net was not torn. Jesus said to them, Come and have breakfast. Now none of the disciples dared to ask him, Who are you? Because they knew it was the Lord. Jesus came and took the bread and gave it to them and did the same with the fish. This was now the third time Jesus appeared to the disciples after he was raised from the dead. When they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Peter said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus said to him, feed my lambs. A second time, Jesus said to Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter said to him, Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus said to him, Tend my sheep. Jesus said to him the third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And Peter said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. Jesus said to him, Feed my sheep. Very truly, I tell you, when you were younger, you used to fasten your own belt and go wherever you wished. But when you grow old, you will stretch out your hands, and someone else will fasten a belt around you and take you where you do not wish to go. Jesus said this to indicate the kind of death by which Peter would glorify God. After this, Jesus said to him, follow me. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be God. As you are seated, our children may be dismissed for their time of worship. Let us pray together.
God, this morning, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be holy and acceptable and even pleasing to you, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Do you ever have those moments when you realize that you've missed out on one of your dreams? That the realities of life, be it time or money or talent or family or situations, have kept you from doing the things that you once wished could happen? My husband Josh and I are going to be parents for the first time this fall, and I was joking around this week with Robert Connie, my dear friend in the back who's one of our young adults, and he was asking me, what are all those dreams you and Josh had that you actually never, that were never fulfilled? And I thought to myself, where in the world is he going with this? But I humored him and answered that at one point I had wanted to be a famous singer, and star on all the best stages this world has, Broadway, the Metropolitan Opera, you name it. And then I confess that in his younger years, Josh wanted to be a professional baseball player, and then he got to high school and wanted to be a punk rock star. Um, (laughs) uh, For all of those reasons I named above, these dreams have not come to fruition for either of us, or I should probably say optimistically, they haven't yet come to fruition. Robert responded to this story by saying, Well, now you know what issues you're going to give to your kid. You're going to try to turn them into opera singers, baseball players, and punk rock stars. This morning we hear a story of a guy whose dreams have failed, Simon Peter. You remember Peter, right? The rock of the church, the guy who was part of Jesus' inner circle, who claimed him as the Messiah, who walked on water at least for a hot minute, who saw Jesus transfigured, and then in a moment of panic denied him loudly in a crowd of people just prior to Jesus' crucifixion. Peter was a fisherman by trade, and yet Jesus had called him to be a fisher for people. Peter's dreams of a life filled with meaning, a life that had the potential to change the world, were realized in his relationship with Jesus. And yet, when our story begins, we see that Peter is stuck and confused. This is the Peter whose dreams and plans have hit a wall. Not long before our story begins, Peter watches as his friend and leader, Jesus, died a criminal's death on the cross. A few days later, Peter stood helplessly in an empty tomb, holding burial cloths and wondering where it all went wrong. As our story begins, Peter seems like he has no choice. He goes back to the life he used to live, announcing to his friends, I'm going fishing. After living that mountaintop life with Jesus, finding meaning and purpose as one of Jesus' closest friends and confidants, He has spiraled down back below sea level, feeling the sting of Jesus' death and not knowing how to move forward. Peter's current lived reality was that nothing had changed. His leader and friend had gone. It seemed almost like a dream at that point. And where else could he go but to back to the boat, back to business as usual? And the rest of the disciples follow him. 
They go back to the familiar, the sea, the fishing lines, the bait, the oars, that which is tangible and real and known. And yet in this particular moment, that wasn't even working. They're supposed to know what they're doing, these fishermen, but all night long, nothing. I can just hear Peter now, can't you? Spending the whole night doing what he thought he knew best to do, cursing those empty nests under his breath all night long, dripping wet and cold and immeasurably frustrated, feeling like a complete failure at life. Hope would rise up inside of him each time he cast the net out into the darkness, but the emptiness that plagued his nets and his life greeted him time and time again, casting and pulling in, casting and pulling in. You see, Peter is like every one of us who has felt like we try and try and try some more to do what it is we're supposed to do, whether that's related to family or work or recovery or our health. And yet we come up empty-handed so often, time and time again. We retreat to what we know best when we're in the midst of grief or anger or disruption or suffering. We go back to those familiar rhythms, the places where people know us and we know what we're supposed to do. And yet so often we're left empty-handed. This particular story is remarkably similar to some other stories we read in the Gospels. In the Gospel of Luke, we see this same motley crew of disciples, with Peter in the starring role, of course, in a very similar scenario. In a boat on that same Sea of Galilee, fishing, of course, and struggling to catch anything at all. The Bible doesn't really tell us that they're good fishermen, you know, just that they're fishermen. In this story, Jesus instructs them to look for the deeper waters— And there they will find a catch. And Lord, did they ever. The nets were breaking and bursting at the seams with the haul they had brought in. They knew at that moment they were in the presence of Jesus. And when he said to them, do not be afraid. From now on, you will be catching people. They left everything on the beach right there and did just that. And then in today's story, morning breaks on the beach, and a question comes rolling over the waves from a stranger on the shoreline. Boys, have you caught anything? How about tossing your nets onto the other side of the boat? Sure enough, like in the Gospel of Luke, their nets come up full. Peter knows in that instant that this seaside stranger is none other than Jesus himself, and he wastes not a moment in diving into the water and swimming furiously for the shore. There, over a breakfast of bread and fish with Jesus as their host, Peter and the disciples feel their dream return. Now, it's sort of hard not to hear both of these fishing stories of Peter as ones that say, well, if you follow what Jesus says, you'll be blessed. Your nets will be overflowing. You'll be happy and whole and lacking of nothing. Just do what Jesus says. You know, give $10 to the church and you'll get $100 in return. You can try that here if you want to. 
or go to this school and, and get this job, and then you'll never have to worry another day about providing for yourself or your family, or just quit eating or drinking or working around the clock or worrying or whatever, and your life will improve dramatically. These stories make life seem really simple, don't they? And yet, for each of these promises of blessing, there's a shadow story of reality. The woman who went bankrupt by giving all her money to the TV preacher. The millions of adults who are saddled with a lifetime of debt, tenuous job situations, and a failed economy within which to struggle to stay afloat. The guy living on the streets whose addiction robbed him of stability and is keeping him in the madness. If it were only that easy. In the second part of our text today, Jesus recalls Peter's denial in the hours that led to Jesus' death. Seated around a charcoal fire, Peter was questioned by the people who had seen him with Jesus. Are you one of his disciples, they asked. And out of terror and fear and self-preservation, Peter denies it. Three times he does that. And here in this story, around yet another charcoal fire, Jesus asks Peter three times, Do you love me? And three times, as emphatically as he had denied Jesus, Peter affirms him, Yes, of course I love you. You know everything about me. Yes, I love you. Over these last several weeks, we've been discussing the way that Jesus shows up to people after his death and resurrection. If you've noticed, in each of these stories, the risen Christ is met first with much disbelief and doubt, as is to be expected. Even as Jesus honors these real emotions, he gives responsibility to each of these people. To Mary, who tearfully mistook him for the gardener, Jesus says, go tell my brothers and sisters. To the disciples who hid frightfully in a locked room, Jesus said, peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, so too I send you. To Thomas, who needed to see it to believe it, Jesus said, do not doubt, but believe. And now to Peter, guilt-laden with the denial of his friend and grieving over his death, who went back to that familiar life of fishing and casting and gathering and solitude, Jesus instructs, feed my lambs, tend my sheep, follow me. Each of these people, from Mary to the disciples to Thomas to Peter, were given space for grace, space to name their disbelief, space to be honest with their doubts, space for grace to intervene. But each were given a job. Go and tell, live out my peace, believe what you have seen, care for my flock as I have, and above all else, follow me. The words Jesus gives to Peter after his denial that restore him in that moment of grace might sound a bit happy-go-lucky, or at least they do to me. There's talk of sheeps and lambs, might as well be puppies and unicorns. I mean, you know, these fun, childish terms. But 
Jesus follows these instructions with a word of caution, naming the reality for Peter that truly following the risen Christ will take Peter in places he might not be ready to go. But Jesus' direction was clear. Follow me. Come and be a new kind of fisher. You might be thinking to yourself, okay, that's all fine and good, but we live now in the year 2012, not then. Things are different. So how do we know the risen Christ today? How do we recognize him in our midst? And how do we, as people of faith, seeking to follow Christ, respond? I want you to know today that we know the risen Christ today in the very same ways that he shows up for Peter in this story. We know the risen Christ when he enters our lived lives, our everyday realities, and transforms them. Jesus came into Peter's life right there on the shore and transformed it. Cast your nets on this side instead. Jesus hasn't stopped arriving in our midst, showing up at work or in our homes or our communities, among our relationships, and even in the most humdrum, mundane moments of our days. And despite our doubts and disbeliefs and hang-ups, Jesus transforms us. Treat your friend this way instead. Use your time and your money like this and not like that. See the stranger as my beloved child, not as a threat. In our real lives, lived hour by hour, day by day, Jesus shows up in our midst and beckons us to be transformed. We know the risen Christ also when we share an ordinary meal together and Jesus transforms it. Now, I don't know about you, but I thought Jesus' beachfront breakfast barbecue sounded quite delicious. And it did just the trick for Peter and the disciples. They weren't quite sure who this random man on the sand was until he invited them to bring their fish and come and have breakfast. In the sharing of loaves and fishes that chilly morning, Jesus was known to his friends. There was no doubt that they were in the presence of the Lord. Jesus hasn't stopped sharing in these times of culinary care. He promises us that when we gather as a community and bring bread and cup to share with each other, that we will remember him. And so we do. In communion and potlucks and sparse meals and feasts, Jesus transforms us together. Even when we bring our struggles and and the realities and messiness of life, We're nourished in community and filled with the love of the one who was the bread of life, who feeds us and transforms us so that we can go and feed a hungry world. And finally, we know the risen Christ when we're shown forgiveness and grace for our shortcomings and in turn given responsibility for serving others. Jesus took Peter's three denials and restored them with three affirmations of love. He didn't stop there. Jesus taught Peter that the way Peter can show his love for Jesus is by doing what Jesus did. Seeking after the lost, feeding the hungry, caring for community. Grace for Peter took the form of love made flesh for the world in need. And so too with us. When we fall short... 
When we lie and withhold for self-preservation, when we hoard resources and time and space to make our own lives comfortable at the expense of others, when we cheat to get ahead, when we remain stagnant out of fear, when we overlook our own issues but quickly call out the issues in others, Jesus seeks us out, forgiving us with grace, and ignites us to serve the world in love. I want to close with a story. In the spring of 2004, when I was living in Chicago and pursuing that dream of being a professional opera singer, I took on a decidedly unglamorous job as a paid chorister in the choir of the St. Peter's Catholic Church in Skokie, Illinois. A smattering of student and professional singers gathered each week to help lead Mass, yet a few of us in the choir were actually Catholic. Because I had grown up a Baptist, my dear friend and classmate Kyle, who also sang in the choir, had to give me a crash course on Mass every week. Kyle was an Iowa farm boy, raised in a good Catholic home, upon which he was promptly kicked out of when he came out to his family. For the first time in my life, I was separated from my family that Easter Sunday, Here I was, far from my physical home and my church home, and leading others in this unfamiliar Easter celebration. That Sunday, as I felt so far removed from my known reality, the risen Christ showed up through my friend Kyle. When the time came in the Mass service for communion, I realized just how alone I felt that morning. Communion was supposed to be a time that binds all Christians together around the table in fellowship and service and thanksgiving. And it, because I was a Baptist, it was denied to me based on my orientation as a non-Catholic. I felt the tears of isolation prick my eyes that morning. Kyle noticed, and he leaned over to me and whispered, Don't worry. You can have half of mine. We won't tell anybody. (laughs) In that very moment, this man who is daily denied full love and inclusion from his family and his church and in many places of our world offered inclusion to me that day. With the music of Easter swirling around us, Kyle broke his wafer, gave me half, and we celebrated the resurrected Christ together that Easter Sunday. There in the holy shadows of that Easter morning, Jesus showed up and transformed me. In our lived lives, in our shared meals, and in our forgiven yet hopeful realities, the risen Christ shows up and transforms us. The question remains, though, will we recognize it? Will we respond? Will we truly live as Easter people in a Good Friday world? We sang a hymn last week that speaks to this question that Peter and Jesus discussed that day on the shoreline. Will you come and follow me if I but call your name? Will you go where you don't know and never be the same? Will you let my love be shown? Will you let my name be known? Will you let my life be grown in you and you in me? Will you love the you you hide if I but call your name? Will you quell the fear inside and never be the same? Will you use the faith you found to reshape the world around? 
through my sight and sound and touch in you and you in me. We are called to follow, called from our regular old lives into deeper waters, called to be a new kind of fisher, called to recognize God's yes in our world of no, called to live like Peter, called to see and know the risen Christ in our midst. Let us pray together. God, who called Peter and calls us to follow the resurrected Lord, show up today in our midst. Reignite our dreams to serve you with meaning and purpose. Let your goodness and mercy chase after us into a world in need. Transform us into resurrection people. In the name of the one who was the bread of life, Jesus Christ our Lord, we pray. Amen. This community of faith is far from perfect, but we're seeking to live as Easter people together. You're invited, all are invited, to join your lives with this community as we travel life's journeys together. If God is calling you into deeper waters today, I'll be standing at the front here to receive you. Let us stand as we sing our closing hymn, hymn number 50, How Lovely God, How Lovely. <laughs>